Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mo Bina, who he's uh, really passionate about educating passive investors. So you'll be able to learn a lot from this interview. So Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Marcus. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to, to have you on. And I know we've been, kind of been going back and forth and we've connected in different places, such as on LinkedIn, different things like that. But it's kind of a now it's kind of led to us actually scheduling a, a call where we can get on a podcast interview. So I'm excited to, to jump in, learn more about your story, let you kind of share what's going on. I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro first before you jump into things. So a little bit about Mo. He's the managing principal and founder of a commercial real estate firm company called High Rise Capital. He helps high income and high net worth individuals and family offices obtain above average returns with reduced volatility and tax efficiency from high quality investments. He's the author of More Doors, More Profits. He works with clients so they ultimately achieve meaningful investment returns as they generate multiple streams of income to live the life they desire and participate in investments that enhance lives and provide a societal benefit. So Mo, um, you've you've done a lot on the educational space. First, you know, learning for yourself how to be a passive investor. Now, kind of giving back to the community and and uh, sharing your knowledge with other passive investors. So, can you kind of tell us a little bit about the story about how you started getting into passive investments and and kind of how you've uh, uh, come to where you are today? Yeah, thank you, Marcus. Um, I I guess the journey started, you know, quite a number of years ago. In fact, it started probably, you know, with the last uh, um, global financial crisis back in 2008, you know, where I started to really kind of question, you know, how I was investing and, you know, all the, you know, mainstream ways in which people are told they, they should be building wealth and what they should be doing with their money. And, you know, after going through that you know, market meltdown and, you know, everything that happened with the, the housing bubble at the time, you know, I really started to question, you know, if, you know, what I was doing and what it seemed like a lot of other people doing was really the best way of, of really kind of building wealth. And so I kind of went off, you know, for, for quite a while after that, really spending a lot of time, you know, researching and reading and really trying to question, you know, like, is this the only way of, of wealth creation? And, you know, it led me to, really kind of like second guess and to kind of really reevaluate a lot of stuff. And that led me to read a lot of books, you know, like Robert Kiyosaki's like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, you know, Cashflow Quadrant. And then from there, I started reading books on like, you know, um, taxes and asset protection and, you know, of course, you know, real estate, you know, which Robert Kiyosaki is a big, you know, um, firm, you know, a speaker of. And so then from there, you know, it, it slowly progress, you know, not just from single family homes, but also to understand commercial real estate and everything that kind of went along with that. And, and next thing you know, I started, you know, passively investing. I started investing in um, commercial real estate opportunities. I first started in multifamily. And then from there, I started investing in uh, other asset classes, you know, like um, senior living and uh, eventually also did um, uh, office and industrial and um, really started to understand the space, you know, uh, quite a bit. 
And so at that point, I really started to get a much better grasp of, you know, not just from a passive investor standpoint, but this whole idea of like, you know, how people build wealth and what are ultimately the, the 1% or, or the or the 0.1% doing, you know, how are they building wealth and how are they really approaching all this? Because, you know, along the way, I realized that they're not doing the same things that everyone else thinks uh, needs to be done. And so um, that eventually led me to where I am now. And so I, I've done a number of things like, you know, written an ebook um, to try and help other people better understand, you know, the space, because when I first got into it, I, I had so many questions and there were so many things that I kind of did maybe flying blind a little bit, um, you know, but I, you know, learned some lessons along the way. And, you know, I, I'd spent some time almost about a year ago writing this ebook, which is about 40 pages long and, and, you know, really tried to give a whole like kind of A through Z you know, um, of what is a syndication and what's commercial real estate and, you know, how someone can navigate, you know, and trying to understand this space or even people who probably have already been passively investing uh, probably can still probably get a lot out of it just in terms of the amount of detail that I get into really explaining a lot of like concepts that I, I rarely see uh, explained out there. So, I mean, you would say that this book is really kind of targeted at educating the passive investor or, you know, who would this best be suited for? Uh, definitely for passive investors, uh, you know, for someone. And although the ebook, you know, the focus of it is on multifamily, you know, there's a lot of material in there. Like I spent an entire chapter even just talking about macroeconomics. I talk about, you know, what is the effect of monetary and fiscal policies that are going on? And although this ebook was written about a year ago, you know, everything in it is still relevant because, you know, um, the trends that we've been seeing in terms of like where interest rates have been heading and how our government basically spends money it ultimately doesn't have, you know, these things haven't changed. And in fact, they've accelerated, you know, as a result of, you know, the recent events with the, uh, uh, with COVID, uh, the COVID pandemic. So um, I really kind of laid a good solid foundation for why someone would want to not just get involved in real estate, but commercial real estate specifically. And as you know, like, you know, we, when we invest in commercial real estate, we're buying you know, assets that are fairly illiquid and assets that, you know, we plan on holding for, for years at a time. And so it's always important to understand what the long-term trends are and what the trajectory of those trends uh, are taking us. And that's, I, I laid that foundation in my ebook as well, because I, when I first got involved in passive investing, I didn't understand some of these, these like long-term trends uh, per se. I, I, I understood the benefits of commercial real estate and, and why someone would want to own assets that essentially produce income, but I didn't really understand a lot of some of the finer points. And so I brought all that together uh, in that actual ebook for people out there. And even people who've been passively investing, like I said, I, I think they'd get a lot out of it and having a, you know, a better sense of, of how long um, and how deep the trends really uh, persist. All right. And that's excellent. And it sounds like, you know, it's going to be quite detailed for the individual to kind of go in and dive in and read that ebook and, and gather all that information that you're referring to. So, but in this interview, can you kind of just summarize or recap what are some of those key benefits? What are some of those topics that you discuss in detail that makes multifamily and commercial real estate such a great asset to be investing in? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, Within the ebook, you know, I, I touch upon, you know, the benefits of, and, and maybe I should take a step back, you know, what people typically do, you know, the, let's say the, 
the the more common way is for people to go out and buy a or build let's say a portfolio of paper assets so they build a portfolio of stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ETFs and so they're building this whole portfolio of paper assets and um you know what do they do when they eventually want to retire one day they start liquidating those paper assets and conversely you know instead of doing that why spend your years of wealth accumulation towards acquiring assets that produce income and assets that you don't necessarily have to liquidate you know when you want to retire one day or perhaps maybe maybe and I say retire, but I really don't mean like just sit around and do nothing because I most of the people that I know when they retire, they actually still want to do something. And and so by retiring, they don't have to worry about liquidating something and selling it. They already own, you know, cash flowing assets. And, uh, and, and that's the real definition, I think, of wealth. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. And that took me a while to understand. Um, and so in the ebook, I talk about, you know, that very thing of owning assets, own accumulating wealth of assets that produce income. And along with that, you know, the important component of, you know, the tax benefits, like, you know, when you own paper assets, you have very few, you have very little in terms of, um, you know, tax benefits, um, short-term versus long-term capital gains. But, you know, when you're talking about like commercial real estate, you have all these different tax strategies and components that you can utilize, you know, the most common being like depreciation and other things like bonus depreciation and cost segregation and, you know, 1031 exchanges that we have here. And um, so these provide, you know, ways of minimize or reducing your tax and also deferring your tax liability. And on top of it, you know, the fact that, you know, when you own commercial real estate and when you own, own these types of assets, you know, one of the big things for me has always been that, hey, you know, I'm providing something to society that is needed. You know, uh, when I invest in uh, stock and Apple or Tesla or whatever it happens to be, you know, I'm so disconnected from, you know, what ultimately is going on with my investment. You know, I'm not the Tim Cook or the Elon Musk. And, and if I ever wanted to get in touch with them to talk about, you know, what the direction of the company is, well, you know, I'm not going to get a time of day. So, you know, but when you invest in commercial real estate, like multifamily, let's say, you know, that is an evergreen investment, you know, people need a place to live. You know, when you look at Maslow's like hierarchy of needs, you know, having shelter is one of the most important things. And, you know, when you invest in things that people need, you know, not just that people want, you know, that, that really like resonates at least with me. And I feel connected to that. I feel connected to the fact that you can get in your car or maybe, maybe get on a plane and you can go see the actual assets that you own. And you can see the people that are living in, you know, your units, uh, people that are getting a benefit, you know, families, um, that are living there. And so that's the really big component it's it's not something that you're disconnected from and that's uninspiring and soulless the way I kind of see a lot of stocks and a lot of these paper assets essentially are. Yeah, and especially and what you're talking about there is just the, you know, being a, a basic need, having a roof over your head and a place to live. And I mean, even like commercial real estate as a whole, there's a variety of asset classes you're going to look in and each is going to behave differently. I mean, looking at now we're in this black swan event of of the COVID-19 pandemic and it's like well different asset classes within real estate are being impacted different ways I mean 
I like to focus on multifamily ultimately because like everyone still needs a roof over their head at any given time, whether you're in an economic recession or you're in you know a bull market that's kind of keep keeps going up, people are still going to need to to live somewhere, right? And that's kind of why we're seeing the recession resilience, if we call it that, or um, resistant to a recession, because I mean, ultimately, this has been a huge economic impact of having people not being able to work or all these social distancing that's caused um, more money to be put into the economy to keep things afloat. But essentially, you're just seeing multifamily as being really a strong asset class to be in. Now, can you talk a little bit about, because I know you've kind of brought up all these different aspects about economics, macroeconomic factors, and the government printing money and different things like that. How does it actually benefit you to be in a, a fixed asset or a tangible asset like real estate, um, rather than holding your money in, in a different form, such as cash, which is basically eroding in value because of inflation? Can you kind of talk about um, you know, I'm going out a limb, on a limb here because you kind of mentioned, you know, you, you look at these different trends with, with macroeconomics. Can you touch about that? Like, why is it so beneficial to be in a fixed asset, especially right now? Yeah, you know, right now, the, um, uh, the amount of negative yielding debt, I think, just hit an all-time high, if I remember right, just a few weeks ago, of $17 trillion. And, um, you know, there's all this, let's say, money out there um, uh, in the financial system. And by money, I'm really talking about, right, digital, in the digital form, right? Ones and zeros, if you want to think about it, um, you know, in digital accounts. And so there's all this, there's all this negative yielding debt. And there's all this money that's out there that is searching for yield ultimately, right? Um, No one wants to hold anything because when you look at um, what you get in terms of in real terms, right? So when you account for inflation in the states, you know here we we're constantly told that the inflation rate is more or less somewhere between two to three percent. Um, and there's some great resources out there, uh, like Shadow Stats, for example, uh, where I know he's been tracking, you know, the CPI, you know, going back for at least two or three decades, I believe. And so, and I think intuitively, most people know that the real inflation rate is much higher uh, than what the government says it is, you know, and the basket of goods and whatever they they basically use to measure it. And they can change those those metrics whenever they want. And that's part of the problem, you know, in terms of having an accurate measurement of, of what the loss of purchasing power really is. So when you, you know, when you touched upon the fact that, you know, you can put money into account and I don't know if you even know if you'd get a quarter percent these days, maybe you will, but you know, in real terms, you're still losing three to four, five, six percent, depending on what you believe, you know, the real loss of purchasing power is in the economy. And when you own a fixed asset like real estate, in the same way that you could say like gold, um, of course, the problem with gold and other precious metals is the fact that they don't produce income, right? I mean, they can be a nice inflation hedge or store of value uh, in the same way that, you know, for example, like Bitcoin is. Um, and Bitcoin is great because that's built in scarcity. But with real estate, you, you have, you know, multiple benefits, you know, like the ability to, one, provide, you know, housing for people that need it, you know, fulfilling that, that need. On top of it, it's an inflation hedge. So, you know, as your purchasing power of whatever currency happens to be uh, that, you, that you use, you know, real estate, you know, is 
basically provides an inflation hedge for that. And the great thing when you think about a piece of property uh, or a home or, or, or let's say an apartment complex, that's basically a package of commodities when you think about it, right? You needed, you needed lumber, you needed concrete, you needed copper, you know, for the electrical wiring. These are all commodities, you know? And so when you buy, uh, let's say an apartment complex, you're buying basically a packaged um, asset with all these commodities that are built into it. And so when people talk about, well, well like for example, when the US dollar is, is falling in value, um, which it has been for quite some time now, and you can use other metrics like gold and Bitcoin to as as kind of a metric of that, you know, having a store of value like like commercial real estate, I think is phenomenal. And and that was one of the things I also mentioned, kind of like in the ebook as well, too, is is you get that that inflation hedge with all these other benefits as well, too. Yeah. And I mean, really digging into those economic factors, I mean, it's so true. Like when you just look at that info, you can see why real estate is such a great place to be in, especially even when when there might be a downturn in the market uh, economically, right? Because like you said, gold, it's not producing income. Well, real estate, you can hold it and it's producing income. And when you can go and, I mean, buy a piece of real estate that historically has beat the pace at which inflation is going, you know, that two to 3%. Well, historically, you look at the numbers, real estate has exceeded that, that uh, the rate at which it appreciates. So you're beating... In, you're beating inflation by holding real assets, you know, real estate, and you're actually generating income off it. If you can get a 10 plus percent cash on cash return, like that income is phenomenal. And especially when you're seeing now when the, uh, the central banks are actually reducing interest rates. So it becomes your, your cost of borrowing, um, allows you to get better cash flow on your deals. I mean, I know the, the the lending environment looks different between Canada and the US, you know, me being in Canada, you being in the US, but I mean, in some of our, we, we were able to obtain an asset multifamily property where we got 1.6% uh, interest rate locked in. I mean, that's phenomenally low and it just allows for exceptional uh, yield when you're, when your cost of borrowing is so low and you, you're still buying a five, five plus percent cap, uh, cap rate property, that cap rate spread is just excellent. So, um, so next thing, you know, you being starting as a passive investor, uh, what, what are some of the things that you were looking at initially? Like, how do you go and actually underwrite a deal and, and verify that it's actually a good thing to be uh, a good property to be investing in? Yeah, you know, um, w- one of the things obviously is, you know, what, what sector of commercial real estate? Um, you know, when I first started out as a passive investor, I was primarily, you know, only thinking about or exclusively thinking about um, multifamily. And and since then, I've, I've kind of grown in terms of my, let's say, my investment thesis, and I've expanded, you know, to um, other sectors, you know, like, for example, senior living and um, industrial, which is a which is an amazing asset class, which I like a lot now. But, you know, first off, obviously understanding what sector of commercial real estate you're in. So let's assume that, you know, most people are probably start out in the multifamily space, which is, I think, fairly typical. So I think it's important to understand, you know, multifamily, understand, you know, the market environment, you know, that there's so many geographic markets, for example, like in the United States, and some markets are more beneficial, let's say, from an investor point of view than others. You know, you've got states, um, primarily, let's say, the coastal states like California and, 
you know, uh, New York and a few others that aren't very friendly towards landlords. Um, there's also a lot of cap rate compression. So assets are trading at fairly high valuations in comparison to the amount of income that they would bring in uh, if you were to go and buy that asset. So these things have to be taken into consideration as well, too. You have to understand what investment strategy you're kind of getting involved in. Are you are you getting involved in a, in a value add type strategy, which, you know, on a risk adjusted basis can be and if it's done well, is probably, you know, a very nice place to be for most investors. You're buying an asset that essentially, you know, has already been built, it has tenants, and you're just, you know, you, you want to put some money into it, you want to increase, let's say you want to do some renovations, then you want to, on top of it, let's say, improve the efficiency and the operation of the asset. And so you're going to reposition it and you're going to increase the net operating income. And so value add opportunities uh, tend to be, you know, the ones that a lot of like more risk averse investors, you know, want to get involved in, but you can get some really good returns in, in value add. You know, there's some, there's some situations out there where, you know, mom and pop operators haven't been doing a whole lot. They haven't invested in the property. And, you know, I've seen some really nice returns, you know, from those types of investment strategies. And of course, in other markets, you know, like in California and elsewhere where the valuations are so high, value add strategies and opportunities don't really pencil out. And so the ones you'd have to look at are opportunistic ones, you know, like development, ground up development projects. So I know that was quite a bit, but you know, I think you have to have an understanding of the market, understanding of how that meshes in with like the investment strategy that, you know, whoever putting whoever's putting the deal together is overlaying on top. And then also understanding, you know, what are the long term trends, you know, in that market? You know, um, there's been a flight from a number of states, you know, like California and Illinois and New York and New Jersey. And, you know, when you look at where people are headed and where they're migrating to, they're going to the South, the Southeast, you know, Florida has been a great market. So is Texas. And so all these people are going to markets. And so if you're, if you're buying real estate, you know, and you're looking to hold um, for quite a while, then you have to, you have to invest with these trends as well too. Now it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities. You know, I know people putting together, you know, great deals and in some of these States where, where, you know, there's, there's migration out of, but those types of opportunities, you have to be very kind of particular and very specific and really understand, you know, how the sponsor, I guess, is going in there and, and trying to create value. Yeah, that's a perfect explanation of it. And really just kind of knowing what you want as a passive investor and like whether it be that income right away. Well, you're probably not going to want to go invest into a ground up multifamily development deal, right? Like, sure, you might the returns might look very different, right? The, you might get a huge pop on a development deal and have, you know, 20 plus percent annualized return, but you're going to have a period with no cash flow. So you're, if you're a cash flow investor and you're like, oh, the returns look phenomenal. Well, if you don't know what you kind of want on the outset, then it's going to be hard for you to kind of make an assessment on, hey, does this deal kind of, does this opportunity fit my criteria or not? So Kind of having that laid out in your mind as a past investor is extremely important. So, um, yeah. and and now nowadays everybody's kind of uses the, the catchphrase, "Oh, you got to be conservative in your underwriting and and your assumptions." But I mean, are people just saying that, or what can you do as a passive investor to, to actually verify? Yeah, this is conservative. This is you know a good deal to be looking at. Can you kind of talk about what you look at to make sure that it's um, yeah no 
actually being conservative in those assumptions? Yeah, of course. And, and, I'll, and I'll actually address your other point, too, about uh, there's different quality returns. And, you know, when you're looking at like um, an investment opportunity and you see uh, an IRR and you see, you know, cash on cash and you see all these various, you know, metrics for for, for judging the opportunity, um, there's a difference in terms of the quality of the returns as well, too, that people have to understand and like you kind of touched upon, like, yeah, you can you can get, you know, a higher return potentially from investing in an opportunistic ground of development deal. But is that really the is would you really want to compare that type of return to, let's say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a value add, you know, 150 unit opportunity in Texas and, you know, the break even occupancy is like maybe 60 percent. And I can get, you know, 25% versus a 35% return. And you're like, well, I, I, I'm going to go and invest in the deal with a higher percentage, you know, return. And it's like, well, really, would you want to do that? Because if you look at it on a risk adjusted basis, you're going to take a lot more risk to get that 35% than you are going to get the 25%. So I think that's a, that's very important, you know, it's a very important point that I think passive investors should look at because I think, and I kind of did this a little bit when I first started passive investing too, I'd always want to just look at the bottom line returns, you know, oh, I'm going to invest in the deal that gets me the, you know, the better return. But you, you, if you've ever invested in a deal or two that didn't go well, then you start to better, you know, appreciate, you know, uh, what happens when you're taking that, that added risk. And, um, I think it's a, it's an important point for passive investors to really understand, and even in even within value add strategies, you know, there's still different quality of returns, you know, and so it's, and that gets now into what you brought up about, you know, how do you know a deal is conservative, and and I think that's where passive investors, you know, they can't just look at the bottom line numbers, and the savvier investors will actually want to get into, for example, like the waterfall. And they'll want to get into the underwriting and they'll want to better understand, you know, how are the how are the returns being generated? You know, what is the business plan? You know, who are the people behind this deal and what experience do they have? You know, because ultimately everything is contingent on them, you know, in making the opportunity uh, what it is. And so when you're looking, for example, like at an underwriting model and you see that someone is projecting, you know, rental increases year over year of 4%, let's say, or 5%. And I've seen some of these types of deals, you know, that really raises a lot of red flags. And it doesn't matter if someone tells you, oh, well, that's what has been going on in this market. Because, you know, if you look at this market for the last seven or eight years, that's what's been happening. But, you know, you can't expect that you're going to get those types of rental increases, you know, continuously for another five, seven years or more. And, you know, that is one thing that definitely pops out that I've seen. And so I think it's important for people to understand that, yeah, the more conservative uh, the, assumption, the assumptions that are being taken place, for example, like on the rental increases, what, it, what types of expenses are you, are you projecting? What types of efficiencies do you think that you're going to be able to put in place? How long is it going to take you to do that? Um, are you assuming that your expenses are actually going to increase because right when with a loss of purchasing power, you know, the cost of goods and services and labor and materials, 
all these things go up as well too. So you also have to project increases, you know, in terms of your expenses as well, uh, when you're looking at your underwriting model. And also the, you know, the cap, the CapEx, you know, what types of improvements, let's say that, you know, a sponsor may be doing on a piece of property and, you know, asking these questions, you know, I think really helps people or will help investors to really better understand the nuances and how everything is coming together. And there's no science to any of this, you know, obviously, you know, it's all just kind of like more of, of an experience factor. But I think as a passive investor, if you get into the details and you start asking these types of questions, you'll develop a feel for when the assumptions are conservative and when they're not. And just the, just the question asking, you know, from the investor point of view, you know, also will just make you more inquisitive and, you know, kind of like lead you down that path of like that intellectual curiosity to understand if whether or not the person who's put the deal together really understands uh, what's going on. And having said all that, you know, the passive investor should also be looking for alignment as well, too. You know, how was the sponsor making their money ultimately? Are they making their money more on, you know, performing or on fees. And that's another thing, you know, that I think passive investors perhaps don't look enough at, which is how, what's the fee structure. And there are typical fees, you know, and I cover some of these, um, these typical fees and what they are like in my ebook, but it's important for passive investors to also know that, you know, sometimes fees get a little excessive. And at that point, the, the alignment between the sponsor and the investor gets a little bit kind of like you know, more in the favor of, of the sponsor and investors obviously want to have that more in their favor. They want to make sure that the sponsor is going to go out, implement the business plan, they're going to do it successfully, and that ultimately their compensation is tied more heavily on delivering and performing for investors. Yeah, and I think the, the key thing I want to pull out of what you were just bringing up there was the fact that there are certain questions that the passive investor should be asking and not, not necessarily that they're asking directly to a sponsor, but either if the, the information isn't readily available through the, the information that they've been provided, say through the offering documents, um, if they can't get it from there, maybe they should be asking the investor, but or sorry, the, the sponsor. But if not, I mean, these are questions that they should just be running through their heads, like kind of questioning the assumptions as they look through the, the, the offering documents to kind of assess it for themselves and then try to come to, a, a, you know, solution in their mind on what what assumptions are being made if it all makes sense if they actually think these targeted returns can be hit with all these assumptions in place so it's it's being educated and first of all to know the questions to ask what to look for it's not just simple hey here's an offering memorandum or a private placement memorandum i'm going to flip to the back of the page and say yep i'm getting the best return here let's invest in this one it's it's being educated first off to kind of know what to what to look for in a deal and i think it's through you know, as a passive investor, being educated through content like this, through podcasts like this, through eBooks like that you've put together to kind of know and not just kind of go um, in blind, kind of expecting, oh, well, it returns look good. I'm going to throw some money at it. It's kind of knowing what to look for uh, so you don't kind of make some mistakes along the way. So I'm actually going to start wrapping it up and, and take it into the, the final four questions here. So you're just going to give short to the point answers. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Uh, that's a good one. I got several, um, you know, Cashflow Quadrant, you know, that's a great one, you know, just because I think it lays a good foundation for, you know, that a lot of people I think don't have, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Tax-Free Wealth is another one and Loopholes of Real Estate, 
you know, these are all books by like Tom Wright and also Garrett's son, who I know are like part of like the, the rich dad family of advisors with Robert Kiyosaki. And, and these were all books that I first started out with. And, and honestly, when people come to me and, and want to learn about real estate or even commercial real estate, I always direct them to, you know, these books first before I get, you know, recommend any other books that really kind of lead them down, you know, more specifically into commercial real estate. Yeah, those are all fantastic books. I agree. So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started investing in real estate? I think uh, like we've talked about being able to ask and really dig into like, you know, how a deal is put together and to ask those questions of a sponsor and understand, you know, whether or not what's being put down on paper and what's being put in in an underwriting model, is it really truly conservative? I've never heard any sponsor say that they don't do a conservative underwriting model or that they don't do conservative, that what they, what they are presenting to investors isn't conservative. I've never heard anyone say that. And if you were to ask a sponsor that they'll always say it's conservative, but ultimately it, it has to be you, the investor that can figure that can only figure that out. Yeah, that's exactly why I kind of mentioned it before. It's kind of the catchphrase, like, well, everybody's going to yeah. say they're conservative. No sponsor's going to go out there and and then hand you offering documents and say, hey, this is a not a, just so you know, this isn't a very conservative projection, but you know, <laughs> if you want to invest anyways, let me know. It's kind of like you know, yeah. getting a deal from a broker. Like a lot of sponsors will basically say, well, you get, you get the information from a broker on them trying to sell you a multifamily asset. Well, first thing you're going to do with their pro forma is basically throw it out the door and then start from scratch on your own because they're trying to sell the deal to make sure that you go and buy it from them. So they're going to make every the most rosiest picture of how the asset could perform. And uh, you have to go in and reassess the assumptions there to make sure that it's actually conservative because they're probably they're probably telling you that it's conservative, the, the sponsor that's looking to buy it. But, uh, you know, yeah. probably not. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Just learning every day. Every day I spend, you know, reading. I spend every day, you know, um, you know, thinking about, you know, where the market is going, you know, and how it kind of, where, where does real estate fit in in the, in the, in the grander scheme of things, you know, and I, I'm constantly thinking about and reading about these things. So, it means not just reading about real estate, but also reading about the general economy, understanding you know the basics of macroeconomics and understanding where we are, especially with interest rates. Ultimately, everything is driven by interest rates. And it doesn't matter if you're a, you're a real estate investor or you're a commodities investor, everything is driven by interest rates. Long-term trends are all dictated by that. And so it's important to know where these long-term trends are. And in order to understand that, you gotta spend some time, you know, and obviously these long-term trends, they don't change from one day to another. But just generally speaking, you know, reading and studying and really trying to stay ahead of the curve. Um, I know that people like you and a lot of other people out there, you know, they're, that's what part of what we do every day is we spend time reading and studying and making sure that we know where the trends are, especially with as a result of what's happened with the pandemic. You know, some trends have accelerated. And so we had trends in place that now have actually like accelerated and now that things are progressing faster. And um so, and other trends that were maybe not going uh, upwards, but those trends have accelerated downwards as well too. You know, like in some asset classes, like for example, retail and office have been affected. Um, so, and, but it's always important to just stay ahead and really kind of study and have that kind of like intellectual curiosity all the time. And I think if, uh, I think if you can do that and have that, I think that always positions you to be kind of ahead of the curve and understand things 
you know, on a much deeper and profound level. Yeah, I agree. Education is so important. And especially with the economy being a changing environment, it's fluid. You got to stay on top of those trends to make the most informed decisions. So last one here is what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> uh, tennis. Tennis is my game. So uh, um, tennis and hiking, in fact. Uh, so I used to play a lot of tennis and I don't play as much as I, I did before, but I spend a lot of time now um, uh, teaching my daughter how to play. And uh, hiking is something that uh, we've started doing in the last uh, year or so, because we can do that all together as a family. So my, me, my wife and my daughter, you know, we do that several times a week. And so uh, uh, we love doing that. Amazing. So last thing here, I know you've talked about your ebook. Um, what would be the best way for our listeners to get access to that or get in touch with you? Yeah, for sure. They can uh, go to my website. It's uh, High Rise Capital. Uh, there's just a, a hyphen between high and rise. So H-I-G-H hyphen R-I-S-E capital.com. And on my website, if, they, uh, if they'd like to access my ebook, they can just sign up and uh, they'll be sent an automated email so they can download the ebook. And then I also put out a monthly newsletter as well, too, where I, I put out, um, you know, content. Uh, for example, right now I'm running a multi-part series on investing in senior living. And then next year I'll be doing a multi-part series about investing in uh, industrial real estate. So I'm putting out additional content on a monthly basis. And um, yeah, I got some other things that I'm working on as well, too, that I hope people uh, will find uh, useful. Amazing. I'll definitely put the link to that in the show notes so my listeners can get access to that. So other than that, it was uh, really great to have you on the show today, Mo. I appreciate all the insight you added. A lot of different uh, aspects to think about as a passive investor. So really appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. And uh, thanks again and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for putting on a great and amazing podcast. No problem. Take care. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.